Hi everyone, it's Joachim Lakren, your host of the Elite Game Developers Podcast. A podcast about the entrepreneurs and investors who are building the games companies of the future. Alright, we're back with another Ask Me Anything episode where I'm answering people's questions related to game studios, fundraising and all other entrepreneur ship related stuff so like this is the fourth time i'm doing this and we've got some interesting questions lined up but before we go to these questions here's a few words from our sponsors at pollen vc we provide mobile app and game developers revolving lines of credit enabling you to borrow up to four times your monthly revenues with simple and transparent pricing as part of our commitment to the ecosystem, we also provide a suite of free tools and resources to improve financial literacy, helping studios make the most informed decisions when it comes to finance. And that's why we've been named Best Service Provider in this year's Pocket Gamer Mobile Game Awards. Visit pollen.bc to learn more. Are you a mobile game developer who's looking to try something new on the ad creative side? My top pick would be influencer-generated content, IGC, by Opera Event. Influencers and actors will make specific content from your games and Opera Event will deliver you high-quality video ads that highlight the best parts of your game. Go to getigc.com to see some examples. That's getigc.com. Alright, before we go to the first question, I'd like to share the URL where you can submit your questions because I, I think I, I'll need more of these from you guys. So please go ahead and type in EliteGameDevelopers.com slash AskMeAnything and you can type the AskMeAnything all together. And I'll try to get your questions answered in one of my upcoming episodes. So let's take our first question of this episode. This one comes from John, who asks, I've seen previously you post advice on what is overkill for early stage studios to invest time and resources into backend tech for things like leaderboards, etc which I fully agree with. What about when it comes to analytics infrastructure? I've seen some previously, these kind of early stage studios credit the robustness of their data infrastructure as a key factor in their ability to scale their games. For instance, Small Giant Games has done exactly that. So John asks, in your opinion, is an off-the-shelf solution like D Delta DNA or Amplitude suitable enough for an early-stage studio that has ambitions to scale a game? Or is it highly important to build a custom infrastructure if you have ambitions to scale the game through paid user acquisition? I think this is a really interesting question, John. This, like, I've been... I've been recently actually talking to people about this particular topic. Uh, I have so much experience from 
dealing with analytics. I was doing data stuff at Supercell in 2011 and 12. And then when we founded Next Games, uh, we also uh, went through a lot of different kind of phases of how do we set up our data infrastructure. So I'll, I'll first say that at Next Games, we started off by using a third party analytics tool, but we did encounter a lot of problems to getting that to work. So the realization was that you'd need customization always and anyways. I think it's a fact of life with gaming that no game is the same as the other and the teams require certain stuff now, whereas the other teams might require it later. So you can't really apply a formula of analytics for each game out there. So even when, we, when you're kind of working with a third-party analytics provider, I do believe that you need a lot of customization to get things rolling. So then the question comes down to this. Can you find an analytics provider who can give you that customization? So the tools that we were using at Next Games, they weren't very customizable, the third-party tools we used in 2014 and 15. And what ended up happening is the provider couldn't keep up with, with our demands for new dashboards and stuff. So they opened up their data, data warehousing, basically the raw data, uh, where we could go in and run our own queries to the data, build our own dashboards uh, based on the provider's data warehousing. So we ended up sort of like paying for a data warehouse and not analytics. And like when you're building this kind of like your own stuff, uh, whereas the provider is trying to provide a suite of dashboards that are commonly used for game developers, it's, it's nowhere enough. So we were so much relying on looking at the data in a very custom way for our games. And I think the problem here comes down to like thinking about your own infrastructure. So when you go in and start building your own tools uh, internally in your company, like setting up all the data pipelines, everything from the game to the dashboard, having high quality, which is always available, you know, it's, it's reliable, it's customizable. You're gonna need to hire a lot of people to run this kind of analytics operation internally. Because uh, it's very technically demanding, let me tell you. I, like, I've spent many years in the data realms, uh, starting off at Supercell and then uh, doing the same stuff at Next Games again. I, I, if, if you think about having thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of players going into your game every day, interacting with the game, saving data that you can then interact with uh, on dashboards, sending all these events to a data warehouse storing and then processing them and then having them there for useful queries that execute quickly. It's not an easy task. It's actually a full-time job for somebody. Uh, and usually it's, you can still think about it as a team of data people. Like you can't really like go forth and just hire one person. It needs to be a team. 
building the team usually starts off by identifying somebody who could be your data engineer. Uh, so data engineers, their, their job is to look after the pipeline of getting the data there so that you can run queries and you can build dashboards. But the problem is that data engineers usually are quite expensive hires. So they're, they're sort of like the top notch of tech talent out there. There are not that many of them who know what they're doing. And you definitely want to get somebody who really knows what they're doing so that you don't get into, into an issue where you've hired people who are still trying to figure things out on this data side. And when you have the data engineering part figured out, another team member needs to be brought on, which is a data scientist. So who's gonna build those queries into the data warehouse and also build the dashboards. So you have already two people on a job setting things up and keeping things flowing. And then you're gonna be spending time on quality assurance that the data is working, there's no bugs in your analytics. That's a lot of work. What I've seen is it's it's at least 70% of, of the data team's time just goes into bringing the quality level high enough. And that usually creates a lot of bottlenecks in game development where you just can't have all the answers asked, uh, answered quickly enough by your team because they're, they're fixing bugs, they're improving the data infrastructure and it's costing a lot of money and time. So yeah, like I said, like I, I think the key to good analytics for a game team is the reliability towards the data there's nothing like losing the trust in the numbers that you're seeing. So the numbers need to be accurate all the time. Uh, there's no way around that. And often it means that your data team will be spending so much time fixing broken dashboards, like nightly runs, not going through, uh, building those pipelines into like Facebook user acquisition stuff. There's so many projects there. It's like, it's an endless list of things that need to be done if you start building your own data infrastructure. So over the years, I've turned more pro for external providers, but there's some caveats here when you're considering a provider. So when, you, when you're looking at these external analytics providers, you want to make sure about these few things. So first off, are they ready to customize the data and the dashboards for you? Like not only at the start, but do they offer it as a service to continually come back to you and customize things as you're updating the game and new kind of questions come up that didn't matter previously. I think this is one of those important things that if you don't have a data team of your own, like working on stuff, you need to have the support of the provider to help you out on that end. Because your team, your game team's job is to be asking the right questions and becoming data informed by using the dashboards that the externals are providing. So 
make sure that they can really help you out on the customization level. And secondly, do, do they have experience from working with gaming companies? Like, especially if you think about games, like, do they understand how games are made? What does like a free to play game, like, sort of like production cycle work? How does it work? Uh, what are the live ops requirements, user acquisition metrics, game funnels, all that complexity that comes with game analytics. It's a tough time for your team to get reliable data from a dashboard if, if let's say, these externals haven't worked with games ever. So that's one of those areas where I would really look at. And then th- the third thing, I, I think you want to do some calculations on how much uh, will it cost to use these externals. So one like idea there is like if you need to hire two data people and you need to pay their salaries every month, if the sort of like the, the cost of these externals is lower than that, I, I think it's worth it if, if they really uh, can do the customization and they understand games really well. So to answer your question, John, I would rather pick a provider who can build lots of custom tools. Uh, so you mentioned Delta DNA and Amplitude, but I, I've recently seen a lot of game developers move over to Dive. So I'm having Elad, who, who's the CEO of Dive, on the podcast soon. So I'll be sharing more on this topic. So. If you want to check out Dive, you can find them at uh, dive.games. So the second question of this episode comes from Pascal, who asks, could you please dedicate time for a question on the steps a solo developer should take when they're planning to expand their startup? So thanks, Pascal. I think this is a really, really good question. I do cover it a lot in my book, The Long-Term Game, How to Build a Video Games Company, which is on Amazon. But I, I'm going to elaborate this more from the angle of the solo developer who's planning to expand their startup. So the first step is to know what you want. If you want to expand from being a solo developer to becoming a non-solo developer, I think one key aspect there is that you're going to need a team. But before before like going into that process of looking for people, I think you want to know what the startup will do. Um, so if you're making games now as a solo developer, do you want to make games with higher quality and more depth? Is that sort of like an, an angle? I think like you need to know what you want the company to do before you reach out to possible team members. And, and one suggestion that I would give and every entrepreneur who's, who's thinking about you know building a startup to read the book, Start With Why, or watch the TED talk from the author, Simon Sinek, he talks about people and businesses becoming successful because they are living and breathing a purpose. It's, you know, for these people, it's not just about 
making cool products, but it's how, how you can transform your audience, your customers, what an experience that enriches their lives in, in certain ways. So the reason for your startup to exist helps a lot in getting out of bed for 5, 10, 20 years, however long it's going to take you to build the game. And you can use the purpose for attracting other people who gravitate towards similar purposes. I, I think there's there's hundreds of companies out there in gaming who, who want to make cool games because they love games. But that's not real a real purpose for you know providing something for people out there so think about that more and check out simon senek's uh, ted talk on youtube or grab the book uh, start with why so after this step i think the second step that you want to take is thinking about what kind of team you want to build for your startup so i don't have any objections for people staying solo developers i, I think it's it's more about the ambition of building a company with a group of people that usually gravitates me towards like helping these bigger groups of people because they, they're really building something that's going to be super hard. When you add more people, it becomes harder. Like I'll, I'll, I'll come back to this in a moment. But like the first thing with setting up the team is to, to start thinking about the core team that you need to have. So my experience with Next Games was that I spent the first six months just putting together the right team. I went through probably 20 people in the Helsinki area who fit the roles that I had in mind for the core team. So as a core team, I wanted to have a group of people who could make a mid-core mobile game. This was 2013. So I I was looking for two technical co-founders and someone who, who could do creative stuff and the art side. Uh, I saw myself as the, the product person. Uh, so I, I set out to look out for those people. I think like now, eight years ago later, I, I would I would emphasize also the game design part very much, which I didn't really focus on enough back in the days. I, I think that's a strength where you want an individual who can really dedicate time to thinking about the game's design and all the aspects that go with it. So what really helped me in recruiting back then was that I posted on Facebook that I'm going to start a new adventure and that I'll share more soon. I didn't mention that I'm starting a studio, but still a lot of people reached out to me uh, and that they had a friend who was looking for some new challenge that who were interested in gaming or already working in the game industry, but wanted to, to do something new on their own. So, you know, using that sort of like friends of friends uh, is a good process. Like to build a team, you should definitely utilize your current network to find people that your existing network knows who are interested in similar stuff. And after that, you start working together where you want to see sort of like a fit with the team, sort of like working well together and that you gravitate as a team towards the purpose that you set out to to go after. You can mold the purpose 
as people are joining. I, I think that's that that's very sort of like needed as well that you get the input of the rest of the founding team. Like then as the core team starts making their first game, you want to keep the costs at minimum because like you're still going to be trying and exploring stuff. So don't raise money immediately if it's not like a must. Uh, so I've, I've, I think I've written about the, the side project stuff before. So if it's possible at all, like this is a phase of the company where it makes the most sense to spend time, you know, burning the midnight, midnight oil and, and working on, on some concept that would work. So as a note here, the, your startup doesn't really get easier <laughs> when you bring on new people. So it, there's so much more complexity involved. So you have to start becoming a leader uh, or at least you have to have in the team somebody who is very much obsessed about developing the company and the team uh, towards a direction where it should be heading. So there's a bunch of great leadership books out there. I, I, I love the sports team coach books. There's of course a lot of startup leadership books but I, I, I really loved leading, uh, reading this uh, book called The Score Takes Care of Itself by 49ers coach Bill Walsh or it's a book about him I, I think it, it was written after he passed away uh, it's, it's a really good book and then there's Leading uh, by Sir Alex Ferguson who used to be the, the coach of Manchester United both books really like highlight how you want to bring in talent, uh, cultivate the team, grow it, and take it to success in ways that are sort of like common in sports. And I, I think it's very applicable for a gaming industry company as well. So, so make sure you know what you're getting into. Is is sort of like my advice here when you start expanding your company. So start with the idea for the company, the purpose, then the team, and then figure out how you're going to progress from there by saving cash until you find something that works. So uh, like expanding a startup means that you're progressing, you're growing, and you're eventually going to go to revenues. But like the key here is that it's so much about the execution versus any game idea that you think is cool. It's never the ideas, it's the execution, which will take you from A to B. So the third question comes from Essa. I'm developing a casual mobile game all alone. Should I self-publish or find a publisher? Meaning that seems like Esa is a solo developer who is also asking a question here. So Esa, I, I really love this question. Well, I, I think personally that self-publishing as a solo developer, it's not always the best option. And I'll elaborate soon, like more. I, I think you you have a lot of flexibility, of course, to try out things on your own. And you can always keep all the revenue if you're self-publishing. But I, I think it really depends on so many things. Like, um, I think you can find several publishers in the mobile space who are happy to test your game to see the soft launch numbers. That's like 
they don't really care if you're a solo developer or not. Um, I think it's fine to to be alone or a team. It's more about the game. So I think both routes for solo publishing or self-publishing or finding a publisher are great, but there's some considerations here. So when you're self-publishing, you're gonna be running the Facebook campaigns to test the game, to see if the metrics are there. You 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 want to 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 look at the numbers on your own. You want to understand what's going on. So I think nowadays it's quite impossible to to just you know build a game, say okay now it's finished. Now we're gonna turn the lights on on App Store and expect that there's gonna be a lot of installs coming in. Uh, I haven't seen that happen, <laughs> to be honest, in, in several years now. Uh, it's so crowded in mobile, like on the app stores, there's so many new games coming out constantly. I, I think this was possible 10 years ago that you could have launched and you could have gotten downloads based on people just, you know, searching for keywords and stuff like that. But it's too crowded nowadays. So. The, the one thing that you need to consider here is that are you willing to start doing user acquisition? Like, first off, it's only for testing, but then you need to gradually move towards the profitable user acquisition where you know that the ROAS is for, you know good enough that you're going to get the money back in certain like 30 days, 60 day payback or somewhere like 180. Like, so you need to understand that when you're buying a user, you need to understand how much it costs and can you get that money back. So all that measuring, I think, is one of those key things when you're launching games for mobile nowadays that you just can't neglect. So I think there's a lot of solo developers out there who have a lot of games out, who are doing cross-promotion for their own games and they're publishing on their own which is totally fine. But if this is your first title and you're a solo developer and you're putting the game out, it's it's highly unlikely that there's gonna be any installs if you don't do marketing. So you gotta prepare for that. And then the, the consideration for going with a publisher is that they don't really help you that much on making a better game. Well, they they do, want to help you and give you advice if they play the game and they could give you comments. And usually they're pretty happy at testing your game on the app store to, to look at the numbers. Like they're motivated by understanding more what's going on in the market. They can test out cool new games. That's their whole business. And then, you know, they launch 100, 200, 300 games every month to test and then the ones that have the best metrics, they funnel those with with all their sort of like effort. So it's a it's a numbers game there as well. So it's it's not always like a likelihood that you know you get a publisher to be excited means that you're gonna get money. It's it's still like very very like slim likelihood that uh, you will get like a big hit there. But like you never know. I, I think like you end up in a situation where you have the data from the user acquisition numbers and like if it's it's going well they're going to sponsor the game with their their user acquisition because they're going to get the revenue split 
So I think you're you're anyways not going to be skipping the stage of testing these games. So why not go with a publisher and you can focus on the game and not run the UA, especially if you're a solo developer. Like they're going to spend some money to look at the retention numbers and share them with you. So I think there the publishing deal definitely makes sense. So I, I think it is an interesting situation where if you don't have those user acquisition capabilities, you don't have the cash to market your game to make it a big success, then going with a publisher is the best option. It's the easiest route to start quickly trying out games that could work because you anyways have to have a lot of ideas cooking if the first one doesn't work. Like, you know, you need to kill your darlings pretty quickly. So you want to start testing, uh, and that's how you can treat the publisher, their testing partner for you. So your question was, should you self-publish or find a publisher? I think it's good to start out by launching games with publishers or, or approaching publishers to, to get them to test your games. So they're more like a testing partner. Uh, and you're, you're gonna learn a lot from that process because uh, there's so much information coming back to you. So you, you can always go back to self-publishing later on. Because uh, I think the cycles here where you're making games and trying out new things, like the cycles aren't that long. So you can learn a lot really quickly. Like if you don't spend many, many months on one game, but rather like a month or two. And so you start if you start with a publisher and later on, evaluate self-publishing uh, once you've gotten further and you know of games that you can successfully create and run on your own, then ask the question again. So let's go to the last question of this episode. So it comes from Carlos who starts by saying, the VC model of rapid growth encourages quick company scaling from this early stages. So in wanting to build a game company that aims to a niche audience and keeps the game development small, to keep the game's vision tight among the founders, what would you approach to sell this kind of vision to investors? Or could outsourcing be a better solution for company scaling if the game grows unexpectedly then heavily increasing the in-house team. Carlos, this question has a lot of complexity to it. I'm going to try to answer by first tackling, sort of like keeping the development team small and keeping your game's vision small. And then then let's talk a bit about the, the optionalities there for selling it to investors versus outsourcing uh, to fund the company. So I, I think I think it's fine uh, to think about keeping things small. And I think the VCs who understand gaming will concur that you want to keep things in control as long as you are in the stage where you don't have a clear success game in your hands. That's often a really good approach because then you can sort of like not raise too much money too early to scale like crazy to 20 people, like when you're still figuring things out. Of course, if if you have sort of like just recently made, let's say, a shooter game, and then you're going to do a, a shooter startup, 
like it might make sense actually to scale the team a bit higher uh, bigger because you want to to bring in the quality that you knew from your previous startup so i think it's it more reflects on what the founder wants to do versus what the investor wants to do uh the investor won't be enforcing you to grow <laughs> it's and they won't invest if it doesn't make sense what you're planning anyways with your small sort of like small tight team and small vision um but in any case i think you want to be relaying a message to the vcs on how you plan to grow to become successful like you mentioned a niche audience do you have a grasp on how big the market for your game will be if like you can start small but like what is the plan to expand from there uh, is there already an established genre out there for your game where the investors can easily understand the potential uh, for a hit game in your genre so if there's a lot of vagueness or no information available on the target audience um, i think you can have those discussions with the investors but i think you will be in a much more comfortable position talking to any investor like spending time with the investors and raising funding once you have some proof of the audience or of a game that works um, so like we often see a lot of this funding news of this team and that team raising 3 million. Like usually those cases are that the team have just left a bigger games studio to start their own studio and they're making something where they've sort of seen what it takes to build big titles and they're going to be building something not the same, but maybe 80% the same. And it's totally fine. I, I think if you come from a background where you haven't been at this big studio shipping this big hit game and you're raising funding, you just need other ways to prove to the investors that this is going to work. And oftentimes it really requires you to develop the game and soft launch it and show numbers. Uh, so on mobile, like when you share you know, retention numbers, the ROAS for user acquisition, things like that, you get into a lot more flowing discussion with with these investors. Uh, and I don't think they're going to be worried about niche audiences uh, and, you know, keeping the team small if you can prove uh, that you have a business that that is looking really good with the numbers and that if we add, you know, half a million dollars of investor money or a million, two million. What does it do to the numbers? How how well do they start growing? And what is the plan to use that money? So keeping things small is fine, but the numbers need to be going up. So when, when you go to PC and console, I, I think the early stage become harder to decipher. And since there's not that often numbers, but there's some elaborate cases already where people are soft launching and getting numbers. And like, I think these kind of uh, bootstrapping modes that often we see in PC and console, I think those are those are totally fine. Uh, you just need to, you know, realize that that's the case, uh, that there's not that many people investing currently into PC or console, that it's more about, you know, blockchain gaming, Roblox gaming, mobile gaming, where you can have like service-based games where the marketing uh, costs are sort of like, 
uh, you can look at, at an acquisition cost and then you can look at the lifetime value and you can make sense of that. So I, I think there's differences there, but yeah, if you have proof, it's a lot more easier. So I want to take also a bit more higher level view here. So in, investor money is meant to take companies to the le next level. Like you, you can stay in a niche segment with a small team, but you want to be in the position where that money will generate growth. Uh, uh, there's a certain amount of risks that the investors are always willing to take. You know, if there's a brilliant founder who who's really good at uh, knowing everything that the investors also feel that he knows everything and he's in coming from the right place and uh, there's there's industry experience there and the capabilities there uh, they, they could commit um, before you show any numbers uh, but then like you asked about the outsourcing option uh, I've been there before with my startups of being bootstrapped doing outsourcing then talking to investors at the same time if you if you have the capabilities to work on outsourcing but also produce your own games at the same time i think you can try to do that for a while uh, you will be building your company uh, as you outsource and you're training your team together to work better together and if you can dedicate time to also your own projects as as the outsourcing brings you more capital that you can grow the team uh, you might eventually end up in a situation where you have your own game that has promising numbers and then, you know, investor discussions will flow much better. But yeah, like Carlos, I, I think small niche, uh, small team is fine, but you want to prove that, you know, the investor money will come back, you know, 3x, 10x, like that there's a, a multiplier there for, for the cash. So, this was the questions for this episode. Uh, I really want to thank everybody who sent out these questions. And uh, please do send more of them by going to elitegamedevelopers.com slash askmeanything. Uh, and I'll, I'll get your questions answered. So I, I wish you uh, all the, a pleasant week. And I'll hope to, to, to see you soon again. All right. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.
If you like our content, please do hit follow or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcasting app. And if you're not yet our newsletter subscriber, please check that out at elitegamedevelopers.com newsletter, where we share every Friday a new set of things regarding gaming startups, investing, raising funding, whatnot. So check that out. And I'll see you next week. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.